All right, guys, about a few months ago, there was a man named John Conti, and he got lost in the snowy woods of northern Idaho. He wanted to do a 20-mile hike, traveling through really deep snow. He planned the trip extensively for over the course of a whole year even, but there were some dangers that he didn't see, that he wasn't able to see until he was out there that he ended up meeting. He was on day four of his 20-mile of his journey, about 15 miles in. So this guy has been going for days. And he starts to run out of water. And obviously there's snow all around him and he could eat the snow, but really that really doesn't work because it's just too cold. He looked on his maps and he found um, a lake within a valley that had water. And so he started to head there. He started to go that way. And once he traveled that, he traveled in the course of one mile, a thousand feet down. So this valley was almost like even a hole almost. It was just a really big hole. And at the bottom of this valley, there's, there's a lake there. But what he didn't expect when he got down there was that as the snow comes raining down, all the snow just piles in, right? And all the water that melts around the place, because there's just snow everywhere and all the, the snow is melting into water, it goes right into that valley. And so when he's down there, he, he realizes that he's stuck. He can't climb out. He can't go up and over the valley wall. And so he's stuck. He's confused. As time goes by, he even runs out of fuel for his food. And now he's coming to a point where he's worrying about, man, what's going to happen to me? I need help. He was by himself stranded. What's he going to do? Thankfully, he had a friend. He gave all of his plans to he gave this friend all of his plans and told his friends, or told his one friend that if he didn't come back in a certain amount of time, that he needs to go get help for him. And so the time passes, and luckily this guy stranded, John Conti, he has cell service. So he's able to call his friend and tell him that he needs help. So his friend reached out to the police and asked to go rescue him. And on day five of his trip, he got rescued, thankfully. John, John is a guy who thinks that he can do challenges alone. He can go at it alone, really. But what he soon realized, that it was essential he needed help. He needed help from someone. He needed help, and in this case, in his story, his help came in the form of a friend. Guys, friends are essential. And when it comes to God's standard of friendship, it's a priority that you guys need to have. Today we're going to be talking about why you guys need to understand biblical friendships and then pursue them. So go ahead. We find out where this is in the story of David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel. I would love for you guys to open up there. 1 Samuel 18 and 19 today is what we're going to be looking at. And... These two figures in the Bible are a great example of what it looks like to have biblical friendships. And they give us a great example of how it starts, what that looks like, and how we can even pursue those friendships. So go ahead and open up with me to 1 Samuel 18. We're going to be talking through verses 1 through 5. I'll read it here. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day. It would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. There it is again. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So you see here, there's many things that, that's happening. There's this striking of a friendship that happens between David and Jonathan. And I think there's a lot of words here that we can look at and go, is that just too like feely or is that like okay? Is that weird? What is this? And we're going to be talking about today what these words mean and why God made it so clear to us that we should be loving one another. So you see here, Jonathan's love and his care and his commitment he has towards David. 
And there is a real big significance in the phrase here because it even says it twice. Loved him as his own soul. There's something really significant about that we're going to break down in a moment. And then you start to see through the the bottom half of this passage we just read of the results of that. You see the good Jonathan does towards David. You see even the sacrifice he has. And to some extent, I don't think you'll be able to see this face value, and we'll talk about it again today, but there is a massive amount of humility that Jonathan has towards David. Jonathan cares very much, very, very much for David. So go ahead and jump with me to chapter 19 now. We're going to read through that passage, verses 1 to 7. It just should be either on the same page or the next page over. And it explains a little more of of their friendship as time passes and certain important events take place. So chapter 19, verse 1 through 7, I'll read. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all of his servants that they should kill David. That's, That's crazy to think. Imagine you're your dad wanting to kill your best friend. I don't even know what I would do in this situation. I mean, I guess I would do what Jonathan does right after. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David. And Jonathan spoke well to David to Saul his father and said to him, "Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced." Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul. And he was in his presence as before. So I think there's something that we need to understand here. And it's the, kind of the background of all this. Because there's a lot of... There's a lot of um, events that take place if we're going to really understand what just happened here. And I think we've got to start with David, right? To give some backstory on David, David was the youngest, smallest brother of eight. He was the shepherd boy going out and taking care of all the sheep. You could imagine him in white robes and that weird curvy staff they would have with him. And he was pretty dirty. He was pretty shallow. He was pretty, he was the bottom of the barrel type of, 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 of a person out of all of his all of his brothers, but he had a good heart. He had a character. Then you see God wanting to find a new king for Israel because Saul is not a very good king. Saul does a lot of things that are evil and selfish and does a lot of things to other people that aren't truly good. And so God realizes, or I mean, God already knows this, but he gets the prophet Samuel to realize that there needs to be another king. And so Samuel, the prophet Samuel, goes in secret and anoints David to be the next king someday. And no one knows this besides um, Samuel, David, his brothers, and his dad, Jesse. David is introduced before King Saul, and King Saul ends up liking him. He plays this music, he has some level of strength and ability, and he has a great moral character, and Saul is just naturally attracted to to David because of, of his character. Saul even goes to the point of making him his armor bearer. And after David kills the Philistine Goliath, you ever heard the story of David and Goliath where he kills this guy that's just super huge and super strong, almost even miraculously kills him when he's super, when he's super small and this guy's super big. And after this, Saul takes him, Saul takes David into his royal home at this point. Saul really likes David. But after victory and after victory, all of the people in Israel start to cheer for David start to, to hone in on David and center on David. And they start to praise David for his victories. And now there's a problem for Saul. As time passes, Saul grows angry. He even grows envious. He grows rotten towards David. And then he comes to a point where he finally, as we see in this passage, he wants to kill him. 
And so this is, this is, the, this is the view of, of Saul, but let's look at the view of Jonathan here, right? Let's look at Jonathan's feelings. You see this internal care he has towards David, right? And then you see the outcome of that care that we'll expound upon more later. But you see overall in this passage the protection of his friend. The care that Jonathan, of course, has for David shows us how God wants us to love our friends. And God uses Jonathan to show us really three main things that we can imitate today. We can start to understand today to pursue biblical friendships. The first one being for point number one, go and write it down. Love your friends as yourself. Love your friends as yourself. Have you guys ever had an instant care towards someone that maybe you've never met before? About a year and a half ago, a little, little under two years ago, I would say, you know, I, I, go to the, I go to a ministry that takes place here Sunday nights at 5 p.m. called The Bridge. And about a little less than two years ago, there's a new guy that comes in, and I start to think about how I would feel if I were him. And he walks in, and I think, man, he's probably, you know, to some level anxious, to some level, he's pushed himself to be here. And maybe there's, there's certain ties and feelings and desires that he has that he doesn't even want to be here. But for some reason, he's here. And I know if I were him, I would want someone to come and welcome me. I would want someone to come and talk with me. And so that's what I did. I went up to him. I introduced myself. I asked him to come sit with me. I asked him, I, I talked with him, and I got to know him. And as the sermon went on, I sat next to him, and afterwards I would talk with him again. I even invited him to small groups. And after that, we just kept talking, and he would come time and time again faithfully, and we struck a relationship. Now, you guys know who this is. This is Jude. This is Jude Henderson. And he's sitting over there, by the way. <laughs> and a year and a half later, almost two years ago, he's still my best friend. Just as the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, in those first few moments of me meeting Jude, I had this desire to be his friend. You could even say that I was knit to Jude. And since it was this way, the outcome of this was thinking about how I could care for him, how I could love him as if he were me, how I wanted to be cared for. Let's read verse 1. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The term knit in this passage means to be tied to, like, like a knot or two ropes even kind of knit together or knotted together. And, and what about you guys? What about your friendships, right? Well, you guys have friends in the narrow you guys come here every weekend. You guys come here every Wednesday, I hope. And there's a lot of things you guys have in common. And I would even say that all of you guys, you guys are all friends. Whether you think that way, or whether you live that way, or whether you act that way towards the other people that walk past you when you're here, all of you are truly friends. You guys have something in common. Just as David and Jonathan were both men of war, just as they were both probably around the same age, they had commonalities that drew them near to each other. In the same way, me and my friend Jude, the commonality was is we both loved Jesus. We both were so ecstatic about Jesus and, and, and were so excited about who Christ was and what he did for us that we would just talk about that. We'd talk about the Bible. We would talk about what we like to do. And there was some commonalities that me and Jude had that David and Jonathan have that you guys here in the narrow all have collectively together. And you guys should be treating one another like you guys are friends. You guys should all be friends with one another. But, of course, there are some of you that have closer relationships than others, right? You could even say that you have a stronger connection to certain people. You enjoy hanging out with them a lot. It's not really awkward with them. Most of the time, it's more of natural, and the time with them flows, and you enjoy it, and you really instinctively want to be near them. Because you could come across someone you don't really know in the narrow that is truly your friend, and you're like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, good. <laughs> you know, and it's just like kind of awkward conversation. And it's almost like you guys are just walking past each other like this, you know, and that's it. But then you have other friends that you're willing to shoot hoops with and talk to. Or ladies, you're willing to sit down for the whole time and see them 
you know, every, uh, every few days, Wednesdays, weekend, Wednesdays, weekend, talking with them and sitting with them. There are certain friends that you just naturally gravitate closer to. And these connections are similar. These, these commonalities that you all share and you share with your close friends are similar to this term knit within the passage. The same way you are naturally knit with your friends is the same way I was knit to Jude. Now the question is, why does this matter? Well, I think it matters, and, and the Bible makes it very clear it matters because God designed friendships to love and care for one another. Colossians 2.2 says this, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. To give some background, Paul was not able to see these particular group of Christians and wanted to encourage them from afar. And so what he did was, he goes, while I'm not there, you guys need to be encouraging one another. You guys need to be knit together in love, understanding the Bible, understanding God's grace, understanding who God is and who he is to you and who you are to God, which is all Christ at the center of that. The knitting of friends is significant because of the ability it gives you to love and care for one another. The way God intended the connections you have with the people around you, especially your friendships, guys, is designed for you to care for one another. So it's very clear that God designed friendships because we need to love our friends. So that means you need to be focused on loving, on being loving towards your friends. You need to have a focus that's not on yourself, but instead your friends. And you need to care about them in such a way as if you were them. So the question now is, now that we, we understand what it is and why does it matter, the question is now is, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, I think verses 2 and 3 in our passage will give us some clarity on what that means. So go ahead and look back. Verses 2 and 3 of our passage, chapter 18. It says this, And Saul took him that day. It would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan, here it is, made a covenant with David because, that's very important, because he loved him as his own soul. So Jonathan makes this covenant with him, and we can look at that and go, what does that mean for us today? How can I make a, a, a covenant with my friend? Why does that matter? Why did Jonathan do this with David? Well, first off, we need to understand that he loved him as his own soul, of course. He loved him in the same way in which he loved himself. But we, now we need to understand the action of how we do this. What is, that, what is that covenant, right? We could use some words to explain that in, in today's time, and I think one of those words would be commitment, it would be commitment. And so this is what happens when you're with your friends and you strike this relationship. You make these mental commitments, right? But how cool would it be if someone committed to care for you in the same way they care for themselves? See, commitments correspond with action. And if you have a commitment towards someone, whether that's just a mental commitment or a verbal commitment with them, if there's no action involved to what you said or whatever the commitment was in your mind, then that really wasn't a real commitment. It was a false commitment. And so we need to make sure as, and remember as David, or sorry, Jonathan made a covenant to care and, to care and love David because he loved him as his own soul. That's why Jonathan did that. He made a commitment in his own heart and because he, loves, he loved David so much that he made a commitment to David saying that he was going to love and care, him, care for him. And so now the question is, how should we treat our friends? How should we treat our friends? And I think there's a great example of this, or a great command of this even, in the book of Mark. I would love for you guys to turn there. Mark 12, verses 30 through 31. It's actually one of my favorite passages in the Bible because of the, the content of these verses. So go ahead. Mark 12, 30 through 31, go there in your Bibles. And I think we need to understand a little bit of a quick backstory on what's happening here. So there is a group of Pharisees, people who are, who are Jews, who are going up to Jesus, God, Christ, 
and are trying to test him, are trying to trick him, are trying to fool God. And obviously just that statement sounds like that's not really going to (laughs) work. And so this Pharisee goes up to Jesus and goes, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of them all? According to God and his standards, what is the greatest commandment of them all? And Jesus says this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other greater, there are no other commandment greater than these. So you see the the greatest commandment here is to love God, love Christ. And when it comes to friendships, the best way we can love God is is by treating our, our friends the way God wants us to treat them. And then it says the second greatest commandment of them all is to love them as yourself. You need to treat your friends the way God intended you to. If God's second greatest commandment is how you treat others, then it's obvious that God cares very much about how you love your friends. Truly, God has graciously given you friendships, people you are naturally inclined to talk to, people who God has placed you providentially around one another. And I bet you are sitting next to some of them. And so God has given you a task to love your friends, to care for your friends, to be there for your friends. This is how you should treat your friends. And I would love to give you guys some practical examples of how you can be loving and treating your friends. The first one is is that you need to not leave others out. And so something that you can do is that you can invite someone who's not involved to get involved. Guys, you guys play basketball, you guys are running around outside having fun. If you see someone that's by themselves or maybe walking to and fro, not really talking to someone, and maybe it looks like they're going somewhere, you don't really know what they're doing. And so it would be so loving because they're, they are your friend. God has placed them in your life in some regard as your friend. Guys, you can be reaching out to those who aren't involved around here, TNN nights, or this weekend before we come in here or after we go out, and ask them to hang out with you. Ask them to join you and your friends in whatever you guys are doing whether that's football or basketball or just sitting and talking or right here on the ping pong table, the ping pong table. You guys can do that. And, and ladies, you know, I, something that I naturally see is you guys, you guys like to sit and talk and converse, and that's a great thing. And guess what? That's what friends do. They talk with one another. They enjoy talking with one another. If you see a, a, a lady walking by, be willing to reach out to them and get them involved in your conversation. Sit down with them. Ask them what their name is. What, what they like to do, some hobbies, things that you like. Maybe even ask them, hey, do you like to do this? And they go, oh, yeah, I actually do. And you can strike a friendship with them. That's good. This is how we can be treating one another. Another one is you need to focus on putting your friends first. Focus on putting them first. And this comes from you changing the way you see friendships, changing the perspective of what you think friendships are. It's not about you enjoying your friends and your friends enjoying you. Now, of course, that's the gift that God gives. But I think something that we do so often is that we hone in on the gifts rather than the giver. Or we hone in on the gifts rather than the people we're supposed to be sharing these gifts with. And so instead of being self-focused on enjoying your time, you can be, have this focus on them and looking at them and seeing how you can love and care for them and how they can enjoy their time. It's all about loving your friends. That's what friendship is all about. According to God's standards, it's about loving your friends, not gaining from them selfishly. Another thing you need to do is you need to pursue your friendships as God intended you to. Maybe asking how your friends are doing, how they're struggling even, and what's going on in their lives that you can be even praying for. Think about this. When is the last time, guys, you have asked a friend how you could be praying for them. When is the last time you've done that? And if it has been recent, how much have you been praying for them? Have you been praying for them as much as you pray for yourself? Because that's what true friendship looks like. 
than going back to them afterwards and checking up on them and asking them, hey, how are you doing? I was praying for you in this. I have so many lovely people in my life, a lot of, a lot of guy friends who will come up to me and ask me, hey man, I've been praying for you in this. How has this been going? Or hey, how is so-and-so doing? What's, go- what's going on, man? And they, they're asking me and talking with me and it's just something I enjoy so much, something I'm so thankful for. Another thing you should do is you should ask one another if you guys have been reading your Bible. Reading God's word is so important to our daily devotion to God. And so if you truly want to love one another the way God intended to, and you want to love one another as yourself, then you can go to your friend and you can ask them, hey, how has your Bible reading been? What have you been learning even? Or, hey, have you been consistent? Why not? What's been going on, man? Let's talk about that. And especially in your small groups, you guys can do that. You guys are allowed to ask each other and keep each other accountable and go, hey, man, you know, I saw on Flip, you're not really posting. What's going on? Not have a place of, oh, I'm better in this and that and all this other junk, right? But you're, you're going out of your way to care for your friends as if they were you. It's a change in your perspective of what friendships are. Some of you think that you just hang out with your friends just to have fun. But friendships are more than that. Friendships are way more than that. You're supposed to love one another. You need to pursue loving your friends. And so from what we read so far, God makes it very clear that if we are going to have biblical friendships, we need to be loving our friends as if they were us. So we seek the interest of thinking how they would want to be cared for. But now you're coming to a place where you have to sacrifice. You start going out of your way doing things and it gets hard. Maybe your friend gets angry. Maybe your friend's annoyed. Maybe your friend's not having the best day. Maybe they're sad. Maybe they're hard to deal with. Or maybe you just by yourself going out of your way to care for them in some of the regards we just talked about is hard. And so now you have to sacrifice. Speaking of friends, of course, I have a friend. His name's Matt. And when me and my friends all go out to get dinner, we all get food. We all get a drink and a a full plate of food, and we have a great time. We're talking with each other, enjoying our time. But at the end of our time, the check comes. And mind you, I say check, not checks, because it's just one check. And so imagine like six, ten of us getting dinner, and that all comes on one check. All the, the list and all the numbers. And, you know, as that passes through the table, we're like, whoa. <laughs> you know? But my friend Matt here, he's so gracious and so caring that he's always so willing and eager to pick that check up and slide his card into it. Because he cares for us. Because he loves serving us in that regard. But there's some sacrifices that I've seen that he needs to make. Some that I even inflict on him sometimes. Of course, we, we obviously want to pay him back, right? And we, and we do that through some sort of app or, or we give him cash or something like that. But one, he has to take the full load of the check and completely pay for it in that moment in time, in that particular moment. Then he has to wait for all of his friends to pay him back. And sometimes they take a really long time to pay him back. And I say that because I'm one of his friends. <laughs> I, sometimes I'll even forget and I'll feel so bad when he shoots me a text. Hey man, um, do you mind paying me back so-and-so? It's been like, you know, two weeks and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and so I have to pay him back, right? And I have to re- remember that. He was so eager and willing to do good for the rest of us, even though he had to sacrifice to pay for the entire bill and then wait for his forgetful friends to pay him back, probably, again, just me. (laughs) But my friend Matt and Jonathan in this passage give another great example for us to imitate in our friendships. You need to point, you, you need to, for point number two, sacrifice for the good of your friends. Sacrifice for the good of your friends. I think the rest of the passage, verses 4 through 5 in chapter 8, is going to really help us understand how we can sacrifice for the good of our friends. So go ahead and go back there. Chapter 18, verses 4 and 5. I'll read it here. It says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. 
Jonathan gives a lot of things to David and does a lot of things for David. And it's not just anything, but it's personal, important things to David. Look what, look what Jonathan does in the passage here, right? Jonathan is, of course, the, the son of Saul, making him the prince of Israel, right? Esteemed very highly. He's been living this way his whole life. Jonathan was a, a man of war just like David. So every single thing that he gave him, he not just wanted, but he needed. Because guess who also went out to war just like David did? Jonathan. So he needed all of these, these princely, this princely gear and princely weapons or armaments. And then Jonathan has been thinking his whole life, and this is what I talked about humility earlier, his whole life, he's been growing up a prince, right? And so his whole life, he's thinking that he's going to be king. Imagine that, growing up with, with some sort of job or something like that. And you're going, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. And I already know I'm going to be this, and I want to be this, and that's what I'm going towards. I'm going to do everything to make sure I am that. And then look what he does. Look what he does for David. But then, look what happens to David. David takes all of these royal things that Jonathan gave him, right? And then Jonathan goes out, and he starts to win every battle that he has. Then, Jonathan, or sorry, Saul, sets him over the other men of war, making him like a general. But not his son, not the prince, Jonathan. Everyone sees in Israel how awesome and great David is. But not Jonathan. Not Jonathan. It's like, imagine if you were growing up, as I said earlier, with a goal of who you want to be someday. Imagine you were like, you know, in kindergarten, as, as you guys were, and you get that first paper, the first day you're in school, and there's a question of like, what's your name? What do you like to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And you write astronaut, or you write engineer, and you don't even spell it right, <laughs> you know? And you, you come up with this goal of going, okay, I'm going to be this. And so you go to school, and you get through school. You go to high school, you get through high school. You go to college, you get through college, Right? And then you get the dream job you've been wanting since you were a little kid. You start making money in that job. This is your life. But then you give it all away because you care and you love your friend. That's pretty crazy to think, right? And that's exactly what Jonathan does for David. You need to know that real friendships, they take sacrifice. Real friendships take sacrifice, guys. Real biblical friendships depend on the way that you commit to loving one another. And most of the time, that's through how you sacrifice for your friends. I think there's some other great examples in the Bible of friendship. And there's a lot of amazing, amazing things that we can learn from those friendships. And there's one in the book of Ruth. I'd love to, to have you guys open up there. Go in your Bibles and go to Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to be learning about a story of of someone who is willing to be loyal to their friends till the end. To give you guys some backstory, it's going to be Ruth 1, 15 through 18. There was a lady, her name was Naomi. Hopefully I said that right. Naomi was part of a family of four. She was a wife and had a husband and two boys, mind you. These two boys ended up getting married to two women, and the family now was six, not four. And then they started to travel places. But shortly... But shortly after they started traveling, Naomi's husband and two sons ended up dying. They ended up dying during these travels, and, and they, they left Naomi abandoned. Imagine the, the pain and the hurt of someone Naomi loved very much, her husband, and especially her two boys, gone, dead. But she still had these two daughters-in-law. She still had these two ladies. Because of the culture and the time, it was even more severe. If a woman didn't have a, a father or a brother or a husband during this time to take care of her, they most likely wouldn't survive even. So this, this wasn't a, you know, I lost my family, I'm sad, which is by itself really hard to do. But this was, I don't even know if I'm going to live because they're gone. What am I going to do? And so in her sadness, Naomi tries in a sacrificial way, to send the two girls back to their previous families. Tries to send them back going that way. And so, 
the sister, there was two sisters, of course, they, these two ladies were sisters. One was named, if I say it right again, sorry, o- Orpah. Her name is Orpah. And the other one, Ruth, right? But Orpah, the first sister, she didn't really care. She actually didn't even believe in God. And so, probably because of that, she didn't really care, and she went back to her previous family, and that was it. But then Ruth, who saw her mother-in-law, Naomi, as a friend, had this dialogue with her. Read with me. Uh, Verse 15, chapter 1. And she, Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not argue with me. Do not argue, or sorry, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She said nothing else. Guys, this is what biblical friendship, godly, good, loving friendship looks like. Ruth is willing to to suffer with her mother-in-law, Naomi, by staying with her in her suffering. Naomi is willing to let both of these girls go, in which one of them ends up going, because she doesn't want these ladies to suffer the same fate she's about to. Probably a lot of suffering, a lot of physical suffering and death. But Naomi's willing to stay with her in her suffering. How do, how do we measure up? How do we measure up to this standard of biblical friendship? Are you guys sacrificing for your friends? When you see your friends struggling with something, or they become greatly annoyed, as I said earlier, by something that they're doing or something that they see happen or some, someone does to them, do you get bothered by them because of how enraged or annoyed or sad they are and just want to back away from them? Or do you think about how you can help them as, your, as their friend? Maybe ease their irritation or encourage them or comfort their sadness. You need to have a heart, guys. You need to have a heart for your friends that you are willing to suffer for them in their trials. Biblical friends don't back out from a friend when they're going through something hard. They come actually even closer to them while they're sad, while they're more bitter, while they're harsh or they're angry or easily annoyed. They come closer to them and love them and care for them, even if it's hard being that sacrificial friend. Or maybe, maybe you don't even know that your friends are struggling. Right? You, you don't know the hard things that they're going through. Have you asked them? Have you asked your friends what they're struggling with? Have you asked your friends with what's, with what's going on in their lives and why they're this way or why they're that way? You guys are friends, and so you're able to read each other better than you know, someone off the street. And so you're able to look at them and go, there's something off with so-and-so today. I'm going to go up to her and ask her what's going on. I'm going to go up to him and ask him what's going on. And that comes from a, a love and a care for your friends. It's your guys' job, actually, even, as God intended it to, as a friend to reach out to them, seeking the best interest for not you, but for them. So are you willing to be loyal to your friends by suffering with them in their trials? I know some of you have phones. You could even call your friends. I bet you guys text, some, text each other to some degree. You guys could call one another. You guys could text one another when you know that they're struggling. You could even pull them aside if you don't have a phone during Narrow, during TNN, and ask them how they're doing and and what's going on. How can you be patient towards your friend when they make a mistake or they do something even towards you? How can you show them grace? 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This passage is saying here that you can love your friends by forgiving them of what they've done to you in the same way that the God of heaven has forgiven you of your sin, who has made it possible even for you to be forgiven from sin. You can be like God. You can be Christ-like in just 
forgiving the transgression done to you, forgiving the sin that was done to you. That's how we can be loving our friends. How can you have a kind heart towards your friends, willing to do things that don't feel like you want to do because you care for your friend? You need to put your desires away. You need to put your own self-interests away and do what your friend wants to do instead. Remember, this is, a, this is a change in perspective. And so you need to stop thinking about yourself and instead spend more time thinking about them instead. It's a completely, totally different way of friendship and, and the way you grew up for it to be, the way the culture taught you it to be, the way the world thinks friendships go. It's not about self-interest gain. It's about selfless interest in others. That's what it is. Biblical friendship is sacrificial for the benefit of your friends. But there's another part, there's another great part of biblical friendship that we must follow, that we have to follow. And that is for point number three, protect your friends from danger. Protect your friends from danger. We see that, obviously, God designed friendships to love one another through action. That action results in doing good for them, even if, we, if it means that we have to suffer or sacrifice something. But this next great part is to protect your friends from danger. And this is what Jonathan does for David. Let's go back to chapter 19 now in our passage, 1 Samuel chapter 19, to see how Jonathan protects his friends from danger. And so we're at a point in the book where King Saul has come from really liking David to now hating David. In the rest of chapter 18, you, you see in these stories where Saul is so angry and hate, hates and is so envious of David that he's chucking spears at him, trying to impale him into a wall, right? Crazy. Saul's trying to do this. King Saul's trying to do this to David. And then there's another place where he's secretly sending David out on the front lines, hoping that the enemy Philistines will kill David. And all of these murder attempts, guess what? They fail. They fail. Because the Lord is protecting David. Because the Lord wants him to be king someday after Saul. So Saul does this. Read, me, read with me chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. And Saul spoke to his son and all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? So Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. You see in this passage that Jonathan hears that his dad wants to kill David. And he, 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 you see this internal care that he has. It's so weird. Like today, today in this world, imagine your dad hating your best friend so much that he wants to kill him or her. Like, what? Like, what do you do? And, and you see here this internal care in verse 1 that Jonathan feels towards David. I'll read it here. It says, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. There's some things here that we can pick up from what Jonathan does for David that we can emulate, that we can imitate with our friends. And the first one is that John has, or, or Jonathan has this internal care for his friend, has an internal care for his friend, and that we too have this distinctive desire to care for our friends. This is the way God intended relationships to be. When you first met your friend, it was, it was awesome. It was like you're on a stimulant, a stimulant where you're just like, I want to hang out with this person. I want to be with them. I want to talk with them. When I come to there, the first person I want to talk to is 
that new friend of mine. And so you have this natural inclination to be around your friends and to care for your friends. But if you are not actively pursuing a biblical friendship, that care is going to fade away. And now it's just, we like talking to each other, we like hanging out, we like laughing, and I enjoy my time with that person, and they enjoy that time with me, and now we're all good to go. That, that care leaves. But if you have that care, what does that turn into? What is the outcome of that, right? And we see Jonathan have this external outcome, or this external care, this external outcome towards David in verses 2 through 7. Jonathan does a few more things here for David. Verses 2 to 3, he protects David by incoming danger that he doesn't see. And so how, how can we, like Jonathan, be protecting our friends? How can we do that? Well, I think one way that we can do that is by privately warning them about sin. That's what we can do. Maybe they're, they're angry when they're all hanging out with their friends and you're with them and you see they're angry and you know that that's wrong and you know the Bible says that's wrong and why it's wrong and why God doesn't want you to do that. You can privately and, and graciously go to your friend and tell them that that's not okay because you love them. Or maybe, maybe they're, they're acting in a selfish way towards one another, towards you guys. You can pull them aside. You're allowed to do that, guys. You're allowed to pull your friend aside and talk to them out of a care and love. Or maybe they're talking badly about others. Oh, I you know, just hate when he did this. Or when she said that, that was just really annoying. Like, that's not okay. That's gossip. And you, you can take your friend aside and talk to them about that. And obviously this comes with, with, from a, a place of care for the holiness of your friends. And, and, and this care can actually really show you and if it's absent or not, can really show you whether you actually care for your friends or not. Now, I'm not saying you need to be in their business and tell them what's up all the time about how much they're sinning, but there needs to be a level where you notice your, your, your friend's sinning and be able to privately, graciously, out of love, go and talk to them. See, this, this, this action here of calling your, your friends out on sin, it's not about being right or it's not about being better even. It's because you want to care about helping your friends get rid of sin. If you're going to love them the way God intended for you to, you need to love them the way God loves them, even. Another thing that Jonathan does is he protects his friend by pleading for him. There's a direct correlation between how Jonathan goes to King Saul, the man in charge, and goes, hey, please show him mercy. Please do something different. Please do this. And a correlation between you going to God for your friends in prayer. Now, of course, King Saul and God are two completely different people. One is evil and selfish and rotten and envious. And the other one is the supreme almighty God who is the center of love, the center of, of salvation. Right? So there's, there's that, that difference that I don't want to accidentally mush the two. Right? But at the same time, there is a correlation in going to the person in charge and asking for mercy and grace for your friends. You can do that. You can pray for your friends. You can pray for them as if you would pray for yourself. There's many times where I will pray for certain people or ask people like, how, how can I be praying for you? How can I be praying for you? And they'll tell me and I'll write it down and I'll go and pray for them later. And when I do, I pray for them as if they were me, as if or I were them. And I would pray for them in a, in a deeper, more heartfelt manner because I'm thinking about what I would need if I was asking for something like, like what they were asking for. How often do you pray for them? We talked about this earlier. How often do you guys pray for your friends? Do you pray for them as much as you pray for yourself? You can even go to God and pray for your friends that they wouldn't, even, they wouldn't experience spiritual or physical harm, physical dangers, spiritual dangers. Another thing that you see Jonathan speaks, Jonathan does that he speaks well of David, verses four and five of this chapter. And so the question is, how do you guys speak, speak of one another? How often do you guys speak well of one another? Something, if, if I must be honest with you guys, out of love that I see is that there is, an, there is an ill way that we generally speak about one another here in the narrow. I think that's something that we need to think about and personally analyze and think, is that me? Have I spoken wrongly about my friend in front of others? 
Or, or how often, maybe, do I speak rightly of them? How often do I appreciate them? How often am, am I going to God and thanking God for this friend? And I think that, that comes from somewhere deeper. I think there's a source of, of how you talk with someone, or how you talk about someone. And it's how you think about them, actually. How well do you think of one another? Internally, how do you think about one another? Are these thoughts generally evil? Or are they good thoughts? How do you guys think of one another? I'm so angry with, with so-and-so when she did this and said that. Oh man, this is just, oh, I hate when she does this. Or guys, maybe even, oh, when he did this thing, I was just so annoyed and, and aggravating. Like, why does he always do this? He's always like that. Or like, oh, hey guys, remember when so-and-so did this? Or like, he did this the other day. I was so annoyed by that. That's something we gotta be very careful of and avoid, really avoid. These are some ways that you guys can protect your friends. So we've, we've studied biblical friendships, and where I think we, we are now, I think you guys have a good grasp on what biblical friendships are, what they're made up of. But we need to be willing and ready to pursue these biblical friendships, pursue them. Again, Jude and I have been friends for about two years now. And for those, for those two years of pursuing a biblical friendship, not perfectly, of course, but pursuing a friendship that was designed by God, that was built on loving and sacrificing and caring for one another, protecting one another the way God intended us to, I can say confidently, very, very confidently, guys, that God has taken care of me personally through the care, encouragement, reminders of his word, God's word, the example of Christ's likeness, protection against various of dangers through my best friend, Jude. And you too can all have this wondrous gift if you pursue biblical friendships with your friends, if you do this. Let's pray, guys. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time, God. Thank you so much for designing friendships, God, that we need friends, God. And God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the best example of what a friend is, is Jesus. So thank you so much for Jesus and his example of that. And thank you so much, God, for showing us through your word what biblical friendship looks like. This is something that is essential to us, that you created for us to have, for us to enjoy, for us to need and rely on one another. God, I pray that we would think about one another as if they, as if they were us, Heavenly Father, and pursue them in that way. That we would seek and change our perspective to care for them, to love them, to protect them, to sacrifice for them even. Because God, that's how we would want to be cared for. I pray that we and others would care for one another just in the same way. God, you're so good and you're so good through the way you've designed friendships and I pray that we would utilize this gift of goodness. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.